Legends speak of the world of Elderon beginning its life as a void of chaos. The gods, in searching for a world of their own, found the chaotic void and took it upon themselves to mold it into their ideal, new world. They stayed the void, and as the void became still, the void became land. The roiling chaos became the fields and mountains. The tumultuous depths became the oceans, and the untamed maelstroms became the skies. The gods saw this new land and knew that it would need to be nurtured so it did not fall back into chaos. They gave themselves, these gods of good and neutrality, unto this new land to breathe life into the calmed void. Though they, in their hubris, failed to quell all of the chaos. Throughout our history, this land has been ravaged by the remnants of chaos. Through war, hardship, and corruption, these remnants have been sealed away, but our world became scarred as a stark reminder of the gods' folly. The power of the gods in chaos rent apart this land into the four continents of Elden to the west, Anduin to the north, Kaibal to the east, and Thrissus to the south. However, since the battle between the gods and the void, life has thrived upon these lands, each continent building its own cultures, its own civilizations. Heroes have carved their names into myth and legend in favor of the gods, and the gods have given us themselves in the form of the Wheel of Eight. The Wheel of Eight is the prime religion of Elderon. Each spoke of the wheel representing one of each of the eight gods of good and neutrality that poured themselves into the creation of this land. Of course, there are other gods in our history and stories as well, but they have chosen to remain separate from the wheel. Weary traveler, it is good of you to show interest in this world, for it has much to offer. I would, however, be remiss not to warn you of the ancient and forgotten evils that still roam here, forgotten by time and legend. My hope is that I have not frightened you away from our world. As your welcoming party, I welcome you to a land in service to the gods, where the gods still walk among us, where there are stories of legendary dragons and heroes fighting side by side in their name, where forgotten lands exist, and where ancient magics and chaos still hold power and mystery. Welcome, friends, to Elderon. began, as all good stories do, with a dream. Imagine. 
You find yourself standing in the middle of an empty field. Flowers dot the grass, giving splashes of color in the midst of the blanket of green. The soft wind blows, rustling the grass and flowers, bringing with it the subtle scent of... death? You blink at the smell as it catches you by surprise, and when your eyes open, you are no longer standing in the field. At least not in the field as you saw it before. You now find yourself standing in the middle of a war-torn field. Corpses dot the grass. Flashes of steel glint in the midst of the river of red. The fetid wind blows, rustling the hair and torn cloaks of the deceased, bringing with it the chilling sounds of macabre glee. You shudder at the sound as it catches you by surprise, and when you turn to the direction it came from, you are mortified by what you see. You can't make out any features, but you can see the silhouettes on the mound of corpses in the distance. A six-armed figure is standing in front of the kneeling silhouette of a small, frail, old man with a bushy beard. The figure is holding down the old man with two of his muscled arms while the other four wield an arsenal of death. A flash of steel, a spray of red, and the old man's head falls and rolls down the mound of corpses. The figure's head snaps back in a hideously gleeful laugh as he shrieks, War shall reign! The grotesque scene fades to black giving way to a simple wooden heart painted white in your vision. The heart begins to crack and crumbles away, revealing a black gauntlet holding six arrows pointing to the ground. The sinister laugh echoes within your skull as you open your eyes in the morning. Thus was the dream that bound our heroes by fate and set our story in motion. One, a young woman, half-elven, half-draconic, and full of curiosity, wonder, and rage for a world she knew little of. One, a gnome, set on an errand from the Magic Order at Shiverstone to return some library books to the wondrous library within the city, and perhaps give them reprieve from his incessant rambling. One, forged from ancient metal and magic, who knew naught of his past save his ability to fight, and unknowingly contained something dark within himself. One, hidden in plain sight and possessing psionic ability, sold out by the council to whom he once pledged his blade. He now works from the shadows to pay off a debt of his own blood. One, a human and holy cleric of Ouijas, a warden of her will and bound to his half-elven seeker by the will of the wheel. For a bounty of reasons, our adventurers were led here, and one by one they met with one another, not knowing they were already bound by the threads of fate. As the members of our party spent their first few days together, they began to hear passing reports of strange cloak figures. Stranger still... A man in dark armor with ravens resting upon his shoulder made his way through the city like a specter, left the townsfolk wondering what his intent may be. Jonathan, our young cleric, found Hammer, our metallic fighter, 
and brought him before the other wardens of Weijas, concerned he may be of corrupted impure magics. Upon conclusion of this meeting, our party made their way to the tavern for a drink and found themselves face to face with this mysterious and darkly armored man. Rhyolite, our gnomish wizard, covertly cast detect magic on him and found he was covered in enchanted equipment. He claimed he was in the city simply to buy components for his master in Kaibal, a powerful mage named Inca. He complained that he was unable to find an herb named Kettlewort and bid the party travel to the slime pits outside of the city to collect some for him. Two platinum per bulb was the payment he offered, and the party agreed. Yet another meeting was called between Jonathan and the other wardens of Vijas to discuss Hammer's existence before leaving for their mission. Jonathan addressed Drick, one of the Seekers, for his mistrust and prejudice of Hammer, while Malinari, our rogue, spoke into Drick's mind to unsettle him. The decision that Hammer was currently harmless but should be watched was made, and Jonathan was assigned the task. After this... Quarrel, the party embarked on their journey to the slime pits and their first real adventure together as a team. Our party traveled east. While the first two days of travel were easy, the third day spelled misfortune as a pack of hungry wolves tragically killed their wizard friend. Though his divine belief is lacking, to say the least, it was none other than Weejas who brought Ryu back to life as an answer to Jonathan's prayers. They were able to continue on the following day and at last reach the slime pits, which were not more than a hole in the swamp-like ground near the edge of the lake. They fought their way through the dark, damp cave, coming across what looked to be an abandoned campsite. Here the party stayed, but during the night, Malinari was called away to fulfill a promise made to the underbelly of Caliban, the Axelweb. Though we lost one of our party, a new friend was made as the druid, Eslin, joined the party within the caverns. The threads of fate leading her here to fill the void left by the loss of Malinari. The party rested, replenishing themselves from their previous battles and ventures and pushed deeper into the pits. It was not long until they found themselves surrounded by a large web of slime that attacked the party to eat its fill. It was here that Eslin, though new, proved her worth to the party and saved Ryu's life. Seeing a small, tasty morsel, the slime snatched Ryolite into the air and wrapped him tightly in its embrace. With her druidic power, Eslin took the form of a large spider and climbed the web to pull him from its grasp. The web destroyed, the party pushed forward and found themselves at the edge of the abyss. The league's deep drop was dizzying, but Eslin was able to prove herself once again by taking the form of the spider to collect the kettlewort safely for the party. Happy their task was done, they started to climb out of the pits to head back to Caliban, but the threads of fate had other ideas. As they stepped away from the drop, blinding white light surrounded our party, muting all else until they stood in a world of shapeless, empty light. From the void before them, a massive blue orb rose up and filled their vision. 
A single, enormous eye opened in the center of its body, and one by one, ten eye stalks pushed from the top of the orb into the shape of a crown. Though nervous, the party watched and listened as the entity introduced themselves as the Prophet. A divine beholder to guide the party as the threads of fate shifted and grew taut. They warned the party of the danger and catastrophe racing towards Caliban and left them with this prophecy. Cursed with life, unwithered by the sands of time, peace never found by course of his hand. Cursed to wander o'er these lands forevermore, he who brings the red midnight. As a gift, they gave the party a crystal sphere, a blue cat's eye which would allow them to ask for guidance once per seven days should the threads of fate become too tangled to follow. Their final favor was transportation from the slime pits to the surface, where they could rush back to the city to intervene. Our party raced to the holy city only to find nothing out of place. While traversing the eastern spoke within the city center, they happened upon Drick and his warden, Rena. Before anyone noticed, Hammer's eyes changed from blue to red, as a vision flashed before his eyes. A vision of Morgul, the caustic ruin, an ancient black dragon destroying Caliban and the silhouette of a six-armed figure atop a temple roof far in the past. Drick, allowing his fear to get the better of him, decided this was cause enough to destroy Hammer. He drew his great axe and attacked our metal friend, but Hammer caught the weapon in his iron-wrought hand. In a flash, Hammer's Warhammer slammed into Drick's face, dislocating his jaw just before his eyes faded back to blue. Apologizing, Hammer explained what he saw, much to our adventurer's concern. Here our party separated for the day. Naya, our dragonling, Eslin, and Hammer went to meet with Alagos, Naya's father, who was familiar with the history of the city. Alagos divulged some information he knew regarding the historical record of the destruction of ancient Caliban and suggested everyone sleep in his and Naya's room that night. Meanwhile, Jonathan, his Sika, Sabrina, and Rhyolite traveled to the Temple of Weijas. Drick asked Jonathan to give his apologies to Hammer, and Rena and Jonathan agreed Hammer should continue to be watched as something seemed off with him. Later that evening, our party reconvened and prepared for sleep. All made their beds in Alagos and Naya's room and drifted off to sleep with Naya's father watching over them, sitting worriedly by the window, eyes constantly scanning for something. Wake, wake, for you are needed, was said into their minds in the night, a voice in their sleep bidding them to awaken. And wake they did, to a sickening red glow pouring in through the window and Alagos bathed in crimson, standing alert and staring outside with his sword in his hands. Moonlight shone through the windows, bearing down with bloodied hues upon the party as they heard bedlam outside in the streets. 
Some of them chose to run outside from Hela's hallowed inn, while others opted to jump from the window to reach the ground in haste. A ring of cultists surrounded the central fountain, chanting as Therox, the supposed apprentice of a powerful mage in Kaibal, the very same man who'd sent them on their recent quest, led the ritual. Many of the people the party had met in Caliban during their stay had already thrown themselves into battle against these cultists, which were revealed to be tall, skeletal creatures wrought of some ancient metal. Between the party and the denizens of the city who fought, the battle seemed to veer in favor of the party until Therox, to progress the ritual, summoned two raven-headed golems to open a rift around the central fountain. It was then he chose to join the fray himself. The party stood no chance against the raw power of Therox. He toyed with them, laughing, first striking down Jonathan, then going after the others. As the party members began to fall, one by one, a flash emanated from the newly opened rift and a tall, heavily muscled man with the head of an orc body of a human, and legs of a hobgoblin stepped from the glowing portal, howling blood rage into the skies. This newcomer charged toward the nearest group of Caliban's guard and swung a mace that screamed through the air like a shriek of terror. The horror Therox had set out to summon had arrived. The unholy ritual a success. The battle waged on, pitching feverishly back and forth. When Therox's blade gleefully turned towards Naya, Alagos finally stepped in, intercepting the blow meant for her. Healing Jonathan, he brazenly turned his back to Therox. Bidding the party to leave and run to Rosen, he asked they keep Naya safe until he could join them. Naya ran into his arms and Alagos caught her, wincing as another blow from Therox cracked across his back. Therox began to goad him, going as far as to call him old friend. The party had no choice but to grab a desperate Naya and drag her away, screaming as Alagos turned his attention to Therox. With a smile, Alagos looked over his shoulder at Naya one last time and whispered something to his blade which then enrobed him in shimmering, ethereal armor. Wading calmly back into the battle to meet both Therox and this new entity, he strove to give his daughter and her new friends the time they needed to flee. And they ran. They ran at the behest of Alagos, and they ran to keep themselves alive to fight another day. The rising sun saw the fighting cease. In the aftermath of the battle... Our party, feeling a new purpose, returned to Caliban to aid in the recovery and healing of the city and its citizens until they could leave for Rosen. Upon arriving, they found no trace of Alagos, Therox, this new entity, or the cultists who turned the city into a bloodbath the night before. Rena was found kneeling in grief by the corpse of Drick, who sadly did not survive the battle. After helping as much as they could, our adventurers took a moment to rest and recover from their wounds. Then, stealing themselves, began the long trek to Rosen to meet Alagos as he had commanded. 
Time seemed to pass slowly as our adventurers left Caliban behind. Travel always seems to feel that way, especially after such a huge defeat. Their trek went a few days without incident, the weather held, and Naya's traps and wards kept them fed and safe. The third day, however, the party was set upon by a hungry owlbear. While they were able to defeat the creature without too much injury, they were dismayed to find it had left behind two young cubs. The babies were too young to fend for themselves and would die if left alone in the wilderness. As they sorted through their very few options, Hammer and Naya convinced the party to allow them to bring them along. The adventurers continued on the road to Rosen with two more dangerous mouths to feed. A few more days passed until, just before nightfall, the party noticed inky, black smoke billowing into the sky in the distance. Upon closer inspection, to ensure no one was hurt, they found the trees gave way to a burned-out shell of an outpost. The semi-permanent buildings blackened to charcoal, the clearing still warm and radiating heat from the fire. The party stepped carefully into the encampment. Jonathan cast Detect Magic to aid in their search, and all were relieved to find no bodies. Hammer, however, seemed more troubled the longer he looked upon this location. As things became more familiar to him, our metal friend realized this is where he had awakened to consciousness not more than six months before. He announced this to the party and explained how a group of vigilantes loyal to the god Foltis called the Band of the Lawful were stationed here. They'd helped ease him into the world upon waking, and Hammer felt a loyalty to them for the help they offered him. As Rhyolite listened, a thrill of magic ran through him, a gnawing sensation of familiarity which seemed to dredge up old memories of his past. He impulsively cast Cruel Sun, a spell made of raw, chaotic magic, the same magic that seemed to permeate the entire encampment. Unfortunately, the tail end of Jonathan's detect magic caught the spell and that Rhyolite, his friend, had cast it. As a warden of Weejoss, it was Jonathan's duty to seek out and neutralize corrupted or unknown magic within the world. Feeling a sense of betrayal in his friend's ability to utilize this raw, chaotic, corrupt magic, Jonathan became suspicious of Rhyolite. Naya staged an intervention to help the two friends talk it out before continuing on their way. The seventh day of their journey saw them finally reach the small farming town of Rosen. Upon entering this village, they were greeted with the sight of a barn that had been utterly destroyed by some heavy impact. It seemed to be the talk of the town, in fact, and the party overheard a small group of townsfolk discussing the man who was found in the center of the ruin. With faith that her father would keep his promise to meet them there, Naya and the rest of her companions began to ask some of the townsfolk more about this mysterious man. It wasn't until they approached a rather drunken fellow that they discovered the stranger was being held in a cell in the building the hired farmhands called home. Sure enough, the man in the cell was Naya's father, Alagos, and he was gravely wounded. Alagos smiled and weakly greeted them as they approached. Naya carefully 
threw herself at him and hugged him, happy to see him safe and right where he'd said he'd be, though she was surprised to find him in a cell. He hugged her back as best he could and then asked the party for a favor. Giving them a bag of platinum and a letter, he asked them to take both to the mayor of the village, Charles Barthold, to explain his situation and pay for the damages he had caused. Though a little bit wary, Charles accepted the letter and the platinum, allowing Naya's father to go free. The party happily made their way back to the imprisoned Alagos and helped him from his cell to the local inn, Cablin's Corner. Cablin's Corner is, shall we say, quite the oddity when it comes to an inn or tavern. Run by a tabaxi gentleman named Cablin, naturally, it is everything a small group passing through could need. Here you could find a room, adventuring supplies, food, rations, drink, entertainment, merriment, and just a dash of wonder. Cablin, sipping tea from a cup held by his tail, helped the party get situated into their rooms and carefully ensconced the wounded Alagos into one as well. It was now the time for our dragonling to share a secret with the rest of her companions. The ruined barn was clearly destroyed by something larger than a man, but only Alagos was found here wounded in the shattered building. Naya revealed to her newfound friends that she was not a tiefling as everyone originally thought, but a half-dragon. And the reason the barn was destroyed upon Alagos' impact? He was the bronze dragon, Tidestrike, protector of Edelis, and loving father and husband to her beautiful elven mother, Ashra. She also told them of her concern about the wound Alagos had received as no magic seemed to be able to heal it fully after both Eslin and Jonathan tried to do so. After Naya shared this information with the party, the party had some questions for Alagos about the Red Midnight the summoned being from the fountain, and about, not Therox, but Hexter. He answered them as best he could, though they could tell some things were left out. Then, leaving him to rest, the party headed downstairs to consult their host. Cadlin listened to their plight and gave them some advice while also offering them a side quest, finding a lost instant fortress and retrieving his magical dagger, if their schedules would allow for it after they saved the world. He then gave them the fantastical gift of a foldable cottage to rest safely in throughout their journeys. Upon waking the next morning and sitting down to breakfast, Cablin broke the news to the party that their friend Jonathan, unable to put the plight of Caliban out of his mind, left during the night to aid in the city's reconstruction. He left his mastiff, Domino, with Rhyolite, to protect him in his place, as well as his regrets and a promise to return if he could. The cat sent them on their way with plenty of food for the journey and the promise of work later if needed. As the party headed out, they met Alagos preparing to leave. He gave them each a small sack of gold to help them purchase what they would need to keep each other safe and tearfully departed for home and his wife Asherah where he knew he'd find the best care for his unhealing wound. 
Travel was easy in the beginning for our adventurers as they began their journey south to the druidic city of Eldric and Eslin's home. Several days into their trek, however, Hammer's familiar saw a column of dust being kicked up half a day behind them. Sending his owl to investigate, Hammer reported to the party that their worst fears were confirmed. An army was marching toward them and Eldric, and it was none other than a legion of Hexter's strange metallic skeletal creatures. In an attempt to slow them, Naya took time to set traps while Rhyolite cast a spell of alarm to confuse them. While it seemed that their plan worked, the army was still able to close the distance to our party in but a few hours. Our friends felt it was safest to leave the road and attempt to hide from the fiendish soldiers. It was then, for better or for worse, a gnarled old woman in a mushroom hat held a finger to her lips to quiet them, before casting a spell to entangle them in the grass, roots, and weeds, concealing our heroes from the passing army. After they were safe, Eslin surprised them all by embracing this strange, spore-covered woman and confirming she was a friend named Chanterelle. She'd known her all her life and trusted her completely. The party had their doubts, but allowed her to lead them through the woods and into an underground passage, explaining it was a shortcut which could help them outpace the oncoming army and warn Eldrick before its arrival. With Chanterelle leading them deftly through the damp, dark underground caverns, the party made good time. Leery of the many holes burrowed through the walls and caves, they pressed on through the sounds of dripping water and distant chittering echoes through the dank passages. Eventually, the party spilled out into a large, domed chamber, once an old magma tube, filled with bioluminescent plants, magma pools, and beautiful underground plant life. In the center of the chamber was a pulsating magical tree, glowing with vivid purple and orange energy. The old woman warned the party to be quiet and walk carefully through this area so as not to disturb or harm the mycelioak. They weren't quiet enough, and the party was soon found and flanked by two myconids who did not attack only because they, too, knew Chanterelle. As they closed the distance to the mycelioak, the party realized there was a huge, hulking plant being sitting on a throne made from the roots of the magical tree. He was surrounded by other myconids and plant creatures, and dimly lit by the glowing foliage around him. Chanterelle advised them to be respectful of the being as they approached, but Naya became concerned as she noticed a cage being held aloft within the branches of the tree, containing a scared grey tiefling with fluffy pink hair. Bringing it to the attention of the party, she rapidly looked for a way to rescue him before they found themselves at the feet of Yigsbalath, the ruler and god to this colony of Myconids. As he stood to his full height and introduced himself, suffused with the same vibrant glow as the Mycelioak, Chanterelle thanked him for allowing them to pass through this domain. Naya respectfully stepped forward and asked what was to become of the man in the cage. 
Yigsbalath informed them that the tiefling was a trespasser who was soon to be killed and spored. This meant he'd later join the hive by rising as an undead mushroom servant, working diligently until his body eventually disintegrated into nothing. Naya offered to take the young man off his hands, accepting full responsibility for him and his future actions. Yigsbalath agreed, so long as Naya and her companions could defeat one of his champions, to prove they were strong enough to destroy this tiefling should he show an evil nature. All the nearby Myconids stepped back to create a battle arena as a large, shambling mound moved to the center at its ruler's command. The ensuing battle ended in victory for the party, and the caged tiefling was released to their care. The following morning, after a well-deserved rest, their new friend introduced himself as Seol and thanked them for rescuing him, promising to stay with them until they were at least out of the cave system and back up to the surface. When they asked him more about himself over breakfast, he quietly revealed to them that his people worship the Prophet, the very same entity who had sent the party on their current quest. Naya learned quickly not to eat anything Chanterelle offered them when her body failed to resist her mushroom quiches, properties, which thoroughly amused the party. Continuing through the uppermost reaches of the Underdark, the party moved on into even darker, blackened geothermal cave passages. Here, the greenery thinned to more lava streams and holes burrowed into the cavern walls. As they pressed further on, Chanterelle grew silent and warned them to be on their guard as there were other unsavory creatures roaming the dark caverns of the Underdark. Though they heeded her warning and were careful, the party was attacked as they set up camp by a hive of strange, insect-like creatures known as Kruthics. Only after the fight was over did Chanterelle realize and give the ominous warning that the Hive Lord had not yet reared its ugly and very dangerous head. This seemed to scare her more than anything they'd seen so far. The party picked up speed and raced through the heated caverns, still trying to beat Hexter's army to Eldrick. Chanterelle promised the party they'd see the sun later that day if they hurried. However... The cavern whispered something different to them as the tremors started deep beneath their feet. The realization that they were being hunted spurned the party to move ever faster, and with some clever tactics and ideas to throw the tremor sense off of whatever was hunting them, they pushed through. That is, until the much smarter Hive Lord Chanterelle had warned them about erupted from the floor ahead of them in the central chamber of a massive, dormant volcano. The only way out was past it, so the party fought hard and won, their new tiefling friend's dragon breath spell finally killing it. Or so they thought. They watched in horror as the body began to curl and shrivel, the chitinous armor splitting with a loud crack and falling away. Its legs grew bulbous and its body flared with the same vivid violet and orange cracks and energies flowing through the myceliok they'd seen not long ago. Once again, the party joined the creature in battle, and once again they killed it. 
This time, the husk calcified, turning to stone before their eyes. Rhyolite identified the faintest traces of that same raw, chaotic magic that sparked the fight between him and Jonathan a few days prior. The same magic present during the attack on Caliban. With that knowledge, the party turned to go, only to see the creature erupt from the stone floor once more, its stone form no longer behind them. Its energies flickered, and it twitched and jerked, as if barely being held together, rearing back to attack. But time became strange. It slowed. The creature stopped moving, and the party itself moved sluggishly, as if moving through molasses or a thick, viscous oil. Suddenly, a massive spider leg appeared and impaled the monster before them, disintegrating it, destroying the body, before retreating into the earth. As it did so, a woman's sultry voice invaded their consciousness, flowing through their minds. Leaving so soon, you just got here. The others have told me about you. How interesting. You need not worry. I'll be watching from the shadow. Come and see me when you're ready. I'll be waiting. The party was left standing alone and frightened in the echoing volcanic chamber as the voice and time-altering magic finally faded. They took a moment to process what had just happened until Chanterelle pointed ahead to a point of light, just as they felt the slightest brush of fresh air on their faces. Sunlight. The surface. The party ran to the opening and stepped out into the sun for the first time in days. A welcome sight, after all they'd endured in the dark. At Eslin's declaration of welcome home, the party looked out from where they stood to see in the distance the circular walls of Eldric and the massive world tree, Ula's navel, stretching up infinitely into the heavens. Eldric's wall stood unharmed as Chanterelle led the party down from the mountain pass where they'd emerged and into the woods surrounding the Druidic city. They'd beaten the main army there. They'd gained the time they needed to warn the inhabitants, which included Eslin's family. Moving with speed, purpose, and relief, they charged into a clearing along the path, only to find a scouting party made up of several of Hexter's metallic skeletons attacking a black, saber-toothed tiger. He was holding his own, but the party rushed in to defend him upon learning the tiger was in actuality Eslin's father, Jeremir from a frantic Eslin herself. They gleaned much about these strange enemies as they fought hard to rescue him and were led victorious into Eldric by both Jeremir and Chanterelle as they finally reached their destination. Now, this story has gone on for quite a while. Why don't we take a bit of a break until next time? I do not wish to bore you into a coffin with the regaling of my tale. In fact, our friends themselves should be able to take over upon the next chapter. Until then, enjoy your meal, enjoy your rest, and let dreams of adventure take your mind on a journey. Until we meet next, may your tables always be full and your twenties always be natural. Thank you for listening.